Good morning and welcome to the Gathering Church. My name is John Mark Redwine. I'm the lead pastor and it's so good to be back with you guys today. I have not slept in two weeks. Um, if you're wondering why, it's because on Monday, March 12th, my wife and I welcomed into the world our second baby girl. Come on, somebody. It was tough, but I did it. Thank you. Hooray me and all the hard work I've done. Uh, she, her name is Dagny June Redwine. She was 8 pounds, 12 ounces at birth. Uh, and uh, my wife is a little bit intimidating to me after watching that all take place for the second time. I'm telling you what, she, that woman is amazing. She can bear the pain, she grits her teeth, and she just, she just gets those children out of her. It's amazing. Can't believe it. And so, uh, and so that's been my world the last couple weeks, adjusting our, our oldest daughter. will be three years old next month. Her name is Eleanor, and, uh, and she has been a great big sister so far. She's adjusting well. She's been sweet and kind and perfect and uh, have only had about three class five meltdowns over the last two weeks revolving around you know, the new changes in life, and so I think we're doing pretty good. Life has been good. So today is Palm Sunday. Now, if uh, it's your first time in a church or, or this is new to you, Palm Sunday is the Sunday that we celebrate the Sunday that Jesus entered Jerusalem uh, before he would be crucified. And so in the, in the scriptures, the, the story tells us that Jesus entered Jerusalem on this Palm Sunday, the Sunday before their Passover festival, and everybody put down palm fronds on the, on the street for him to walk on like a red carpet. They rolled out the red carpet for him, and they shouted shouts of praise and welcomed him into their city, but Jesus knew on that day, as he was being welcomed into this city, that the very same people who were shouting Hosanna would be shouting crucify him just five days later. And so this is what we call our passion week. It's the week that we remember the incredible sacrifice that Jesus has, done, has, has made for us. And what I love about Palm Sunday is to imagine what it must have been like in Jesus' head as he was entering Jerusalem that day. As he knew full well the pain and the sorrow and the hardship that awaited him and his followers in the coming days, and yet resolutely and fixated on his purpose on this earth, he entered that city. And it is with that same fixation on purpose that we pursue our purpose here at the Gathering Church. We believe God has a spiritual pathway prepared for us, that there is a clear set of steps laid out throughout Scripture for us to follow. And they are simply this, that we might know God, find freedom, discover our purpose, and make a difference. And through that, that we would remain fixated on the purpose that God's given us. So over the last few weeks, we've been talking about purpose and discovering our purpose and the plans that God has for us. Our goal in this five-week span has been that you would understand that you were created intentionally, on purpose, for a purpose by your Creator. That you were put here in this life, in this world, for a reason bigger than yourself and bigger than anything you could ever ask or imagine. We started this series off talking about Gideon in our series, Do It Scared. And we talked about big faith and that even when we're scared that we should pursue what God's created us to do. Last week, Robbie started 
a new series, this series called You Do You, talking about the vision, having a vision for your life, talking about what, how you can do you. Today I want to conclude that, that series as we get ready for Easter next week. Hey, listen, next week is Easter, you guys. It's Easter. It is the best celebration all year. We love Christmas, and I'm a Christmas guy, and I own like several boxes of Christmas decorations, but Easter for me, that's it. That's the best holiday all year because it's the day I get to celebrate my Savior resurrecting from the dead. He has beat death. He holds the keys to life in his hand. Listen, it is a big day, so you're not going to want to miss it. You got those invite cards, you need to give them to everybody. You got to strike up conversations with your trainer at the gym. You got to get them here next week. You got to give them to every person you come in contact with because we're going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus next week and you're not going to want to miss it. Listen, that person that you've been saying, I'm not going to invite them because they'll never come to church, you would be surprised what Jesus can do if you would just be obedient. So let's invite some people out here. We're going to celebrate Easter next week. I don't remember how I started talking about it. Easter. Easter. Oh, we're wrapping up this series today, and, uh, and I'm talking about uh, you do you. And what I would love to do today is talk about your story. In fact, I've titled this message, You Do Your Story. Because here's what I think. As we're talking about these plans that God has for your life, and as we're talking about your purpose, my concern, my fear is that many of us are still not pursuing the purpose that God has for us, pursuing the plan He has on our life because we don't appreciate our story. Or even worse yet, that we're ashamed of our story. We're ashamed of our past and our mistakes and the life we've lived so far, and we don't see how any good could come of it and how God could ever use somebody like us. We don't have enough. We've not been given enough. We didn't get what they got. How could God ever use me? And I could come up with some catchy phrases to help you overcome that this morning, but I think what I would rather do is roll my sleeves up a little bit, and instead of just telling you why your story matters, I'd love to just show you my scars this morning. I'd love to just roll up my sleeves and just show you my scars I'd love to take a few moments today to do something a little bit different. Instead of a funny story about something ridiculous I've once done, I'd like to just take a few moments to tell you the worst parts about myself. If I could share with you the things that I'm the most ashamed of, maybe you would begin to see the purpose that God has on your life. So let's get started. This will be fun. Um, I, I grew up in Somerville, South Carolina, which is just outside of Charleston. I'm a Charleston boy. And uh, I grew up in a classic kind of um, southern Christian home. We were in the church anytime the doors were open, Wednesday nights, Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, sometimes Thursday nights, Monday nights. There was a business meeting on Fridays. We were there all the time. And, and it was a great church, honestly. Uh, I'm actually, my father is still good friends with the pastor at that church, and I love him dearly. I think he was a great, is a great pastor and preacher, and I love what they're doing there today. And my parents were great Christian parents. I, am, I have a great relationship with my mom and dad. They are role models. They are amazing. It's a good church. But there's no perfect church. 
And I was growing up there. In fact, when I was in the fourth grade, I was accepted into a school of the arts, which is a charter school. It was a brand new thing we had. It was Rawlings School of the Arts. It was a big deal. And I was accepted in for theater arts and storytelling, if you can believe that. Uh, as a fourth grader, I still loved to be the center of attention. And so that, that was kind of who I was. And that was about the time that I started to get bullied a lot. I got bullied at school some. Um, I, it's, it's, a, it's something else to be a theater arts student at a theater arts school and still get bullied. I don't know. I thought, I thought you'd be immune if anywhere. It's with all these drama kids. And nope, somehow I was still the lamest drama kid. But it was worse at church. See, I was bullied the most in my youth group. And that hurts. That's a hard thing to compartmentalize as a child, as a student to understand what it feels like to be in the place where you're supposed to be protected, the place where you're supposed to find hope and be that the place where you experience the most pain and hurt and worthlessness. And that continued on throughout high school and it did something inside of me. It started to grow this bitterness for all things church-related and Christian-related as a result of a few mean kids in a youth group. I came out of high school with kind of a uh, distrust for the church. So when I was a teenager, I went to college, and I, I was at college with a Christian college in Charleston, still in that Christian bubble, and slowly began to hate it more and more. In fact, in college, I really started to become uh, uh, the next level of John Mark. I, I started staying up till, this is something most college students do, I started staying up till 2 a.m. and sleeping in till noon, you know, except that I only went to about 25 to 30 percent of my classes because you only had to go to 30 percent to not fail due to absences, so that's how many I went to. And then I spent the rest of my time doing stuff like pranking the campus security officer. Um, the movie Van Wilder came out that year, and I just tried everything that I could think of from that movie. Uh, I, I, uh, one time I got bored and so I went into my dorm room and I brought my bed, it was a wooden bed, out into the parking lot and I chopped it up with a hatchet I bought at Walmart and then I poured gasoline on it and set it on fire so I could roast marshmallows. <laughs> this is kind of who I was. And so there, about three semesters in, it became clear um, that college wasn't for me. I was just far too amazing for that. And so... Um, a bitterness really began to grow in me towards Christianity and towards the church and towards the culture of the church, and I started to get really angry about it. I had gone to a new church during that season that I really liked, but I still couldn't separate those feelings of my youth from what the church was teaching. I couldn't understand how, no matter where I went, they were talking about the love and the grace of Jesus, and yet it was His people that had caused me the most pain in my life so far. And so I, I desired nothing more than to escape from that Bible belt, from the Bible world. So I joined the United States Coast Guard. I had no experience in guarding coasts. I didn't, the, the, the Guardian came out later that year, and so I hadn't been inspired by Ashton Kutcher. I just downright decided that that was the best course of action for me. It wasn't an honorable thing. I chose the Coast Guard out of all the branches of the military because I thought they won't send me to war. And that was my whole decision process. I joined the Coast Guard six months later. Uh, I was offered a no-strings-attached 
discharge for inability to adjust to military discipline and customs and courtesies and military bearing, the whole nine yards. They said, you'll never be able to do this, and so we'd love to offer you a way out, no strings attached. I wanted nothing more than to leave the Coast Guard, but I decided out of stubbornness that they weren't going to tell me what to do. So I turned it down. I still have the paperwork in a folder at my house now. I started to really spiral into a a deeper and deeper area of bitterness. I started to get really angry. I fell in with the wrong crowd. Hazing was a big deal in the military then. They really cracked down on it in recent years. I'm sure it still happens, but before the big crackdown, it was accepted and it was normal. And I found that I had a real knack for it. And so I, I became one of the ringleaders in hazing rituals on the Coast Guard Cutter Venturous, the boat I was stationed on. I became mean and I was unkind to people. I made it very difficult for new guys to come onto our ship. I became very angry and bitter inside myself. I started to drink very heavily and get involved in a heavy drinking lifestyle. I started to live in self-destructive behaviors everywhere. Part of it was because of the stress and trauma of the job I was doing, and part of it was because I was absolutely and completely broken inside. Uh, My drinking started as just partying and keg stands and that sort of thing, and it led into something worse. I started drinking in the mornings and just to be able to face the day started coming home for lunch and drinking at lunch and just to get through to the end of the workday. And I would get underway on a deployment detox for a couple weeks and then we'd go into port and black out again. I, I remember one time it got so bad, um, we'd drive a lot. And I lived in St. Petersburg, Florida. And one time I went out and uh, a lot of times I would walk to the bars. I lived close to downtown, but I decided to drive that night. And the next day, I woke up with no recollection of the last 12 hours. Um, my car was in a median with the, with the door open, and I was just asleep on the median. And that was a Wednesday. It was 10 a.m. I actually still have the, the negative remark that I got for missing work that day. And so I became really angry. And I became angry at God, and I began to feel worthless and unneeded and unnecessary. So I had a revolver and I started to play Russian roulette. Uh, I would take one bullet and put it in the chamber and then spin the chamber and then place the gun to my head and pull the trigger just to see what would happen. Started doing that only on nights that I drank a lot, but as time went on, it started to become my nightly routine every night before bed. Maybe this will be the night. Maybe it'll be tonight. And finally, after that had continued for a while and my depression grew and grew, and my sense of worthlessness grew and grew, and my anger and lostness grew and grew. I began to convince myself that I was of no use to anybody in this life, that I did not bring anybody joy, that all I brought to those around me was pain and disappointment, that I would never live up to the expectations this world had of me, that that there was nothing that I could add of value to anybody, that all I did was take value from people. I I looked at the lives of others around me. My dad was a valedictorian in high school and graduated at the top of his class in Clemson and was a doctor, an award-winning doctor in our community and this successful person. And here I was just drinking my life away every night in the Coast Guard, not doing anything with myself. 
And so one night, I resolutely put a bullet in the chamber, put the gun to my head, and I pulled the trigger. And the gun didn't fire. Now, I still have the bullet. The primer wasn't struck on the bullet. What that means is that the bullet looks like the hammer never went forward and actually struck the bullet. But I know it did because I heard it click. And so I just laid on the floor that night, and I thought about what that meant. I thought about my life, and I thought about what was next. How do you go on? What are you, what are you supposed to do after a moment like that? I had a patrol coming up, uh, deployment, and so I was deployed three weeks later, and I was leaving. Our ship was getting gas in Key West, and I was standing on the back of the ship on the phone with uh, my best friend, somebody who I had been in love with for years. Her name was Raelle Marie Wilson. Now it's Raelle Marie Redwine. That's how the story ends. I, I was convinced that this girl was going to marry me. I was sure of it. I was sure of it. I, I didn't date any other girls in this season. As all the crazy stuff that I did, I, I said, no, I'm saving that. I, she's going to be mine. I'm going to get her. I don't know how. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And I believed that, except she didn't at all. And I was on the phone with her to tell her I was going to be deployed. I hadn't spoken to her in a couple months. And um, I had been home just before I tried suicide. And she... Uh, hung out with me, and it was really bad, actually, because I was a mess. And on that phone call, she told me that it was too difficult for her to be in my life anymore, that she had tried too much, that she had given everything she could, and that my brokenness could not be fixed by her, that she couldn't be around me, that it was hard, that it was painful. And she told me that the only thing that was going to mend the brokenness that I felt, the only thing that was going to ease the pain that I lived with and breathed with every moment of every day was a relationship with Jesus. She told me that the only one who had enough grace for me was Jesus, that the only one who desired me above all else was Jesus. And so we got off that phone call, and I went downstairs, and I didn't know what to do. I built my head. This was the only hope, tiny piece of hope I had left in life. And so I said, all right, I guess I'll try Jesus. I mean, if this is going to get her to date me, then yeah, I'm saved. <laughs> you know, I'm a Christian today. <laughs> Dear Jesus, here I am. No, I mean, <laughs> I went downstairs and I opened up the Bible. And you know what I did? Over the next three months, I read it cover to cover. And it was amazing. It was amazing. In that story, when you read it all together quickly like that, you kind of get to see the big picture. You don't get all the little details. You just get the big picture. And what I realized when I read through the Old Testament, was that it wasn't just a bunch of impossible stories and hard-to-understand ancient texts. That it was one story about a father, about a creator who desperately desired relationship with his creation. It was about a father willing to do anything for his children, willing to go to any length, willing to give them as many chances as it took just in order for them to understand the depth of how much he would love them. I understood that the entire Old Testament was about God's pursuit of me regardless of how far I tried to distance myself from him. I read the, the, the Gospel of Matthew, and I will never forget. I, I had seen the whole Bible lead to this moment where God just reached after man and reached after man, and man just continued to tell him, no, I don't want you, I don't need you, I want something else, I'll go my own way. And God said, I will get in your way then. 
And in the gospel of Matthew, Jesus steps into the world resolutely with this purpose of forgiving every mistake I had ever made, of healing every crack, every brokenness, every ounce of pain I had ever felt. He wanted to step in the way of it. And I read about the crucifixion, and as a grown man in a room surrounded by guns in our armory, I cried at what my Savior was willing to do for me. And then I read about the resurrection and I rejoiced. And it was so real. And I understood for the first time that I was not unwanted. I was not a disappointment. I was not worthless. I was not useless. That I was created by a God who desired me, who wanted me, who loved me, and would go to any length to pursue me. And I gave my life to Him. Everything. I remember the prayer to this moment. I, I can remember everything I felt. I remember getting on my knees on non-skid plating in the bottom of the ship and saying, God, I've already sacrificed my life. I pulled the trigger. Everything I've got left from this moment forward is yours. Everything. Everything I am. Every second, every breath, every moment, you can have it. If you ask for it, I'll offer it up. God, it's yours. And my life changed. Now, I was depressed, just inside, broken. And that didn't immediately fix. But I had hope for the first time in my life. And that gave me, a, over the next year, I found a lot of healing. And I changed as a person. I, I understood that Jesus' teachings were all on loving one another. That, that, that what he did more than anything else was love people, was treat people like they, they were more important than he was. And so that's what I tried to do. I, I changed that. I, I, it would take too long for me to tell you this morning all the ways I tried to change my life and did change my life in the months and years that followed that moment. Uh, cliff Notes, I, I was still another month left on that patrol where these guys could not escape from me. And I, I went to each of the guys that I had bullied and hazed, and I spoke to them and told them I was sorry. I told them that I, I was sorry that I was broken and hurting, and that people had hurt me, and so I was hurting people. And I apologized, and I tried to make amends with anybody that I could. We went into a port call, and I, I, for the first time ever, I didn't get wasted right away. And people were like, Redwine, are you okay? And I was like, man, I'm okay. I'm just not going to be fun anymore, okay, guys? You go do that. I'm just going to do guys. Have you seen? We're in the Caribbean. Did you guys realize that? It's beautiful outside. Wow. You guys, there's beaches here. Have you guys been to the beaches? We've just been inside these dirty bars. You guys got to come outside. And, 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 I, and I, just, I just stopped drinking. I stopped drinking right away. I wasn't chemically addicted. I was just addicted because of how hurt and broken I was. And so the addiction was broken right away. I stopped it. I stopped, and, and I started to uh, lead people. Guys were asking me, John Mark, you're changing so quickly, so dramatically. Will you tell us about it? And so I started leading Bible studies every night at the, on, the, on the mess deck of the ship. I would have all these guys gathered around, and I would walk them through everything I had just learned. I didn't know anything about the Bible. I had just read it. But I told them everything that I had just learned from it. And guys were getting saved. And, people's, and people were saying, man, this is amazing. That's great. That's all good, right? I felt God called me to be a pastor, and so I started to pursue that. I started to go to Bible college, and, and, and everything. I, gave, I just told you, I gave everything I had to him, and so I surrendered myself to him completely. Well, fast forward two years, um, Rael and I were engaged, I got her, got her, and um, I was in a new job in a totally different environment. Um, I was able to leave the law enforcement and the kind of the stressful deployment life behind, and I was a trainer at a unit in Elizabeth City, North Carolina. I was just teaching people how to shoot guns. And uh, I, was, I was at work one day, 
And I got called into the legal officer's office. And I was like, well, what's this guy want? Let's go check it out. I go and I sit down. And he puts down in front of me a charge sheet. It says, John Mark, you're being court-martialed. And it's very serious. You see, the Coast Guard in 2010 or 2009 did a big crackdown on hazing. They had decided they were going to take a stand along with the Navy and all the other branches would eventually fall into line against hazing, that the hazing culture that the military had had for so long was going to stop, that it was going to die. And so in order to start that stand, they needed to make an example of someone. And so there was a videotape from three years ago of me leading some hazing rituals on some of the guys on the ship. And so they were going to charge me with everything that they could, everything in their power, and they did. There were felony charges for assault and battery. There was all kinds of UCMJ, Uniform Code of Military Justice charges, military charges, all of it. Uh, the legal officer explained to me that if they stacked all of the sentencing together, that I was looking at about 20 years in the brig. Happy Monday. So, my, wife, my fiance was in Cambodia on a mission trip at the time, a 10-week mission trip, wouldn't be home for a few more weeks, and so I Skyped her that night and told her that she probably should not marry me because I was not going to have any kind of a future. And I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't understand what was happening or why. I thought I, thought I had given my life to Jesus so well and so, so fully, and I know I hadn't been perfect since I gave my life to him. Nobody is. I'd made plenty of mistakes, and I wasn't always proud of who I was, that there was a lot of aspects to my character that, I had to, that were hard to change after living one way for so long. But I had really tried, and I thought that that meant I wouldn't have to face my past again, that my mistakes would stay where they were, that my, my story would go in a different direction, that it would change, and I wouldn't have to think about that guy anymore. But here I was, staring at a video one of the worst things, one of the most embarrassing things that he'd ever done. And I had made amends. These guys weren't mad at me anymore. In fact, the guys that were being hazed in that video were some of my good friends at that time. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe any of it was happening. Well, Raelle still married me. That'll tell you a little bit about who she is and how crazy that woman is, out of her mind. We got married that December. This was in July. We got married that December, and... Uh, I don't know how bad your first six months of marriage was. Ours was marked by going to a lawyer's office every six months to try to figure out how long I was going to jail for. So <laughs> it wasn't great. In May, I had struck a plea bargain to go to jail for a year and get a bad conduct discharge from the military, but I still had to go to trial because there was two felony charges that they would not drop, uh, and they were convinced they could get, get me on guilty charges for it. And so... Um, I packed my bag to go to the brig. I had removed my rank insignia off all my uniforms. That's what you wear at the brig is your uniform with no rank attached. Um, I had made arrangements financially and, and whatnot for Rael that she would be provided for over the next year or two. Uh, I, 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 we had made a plan together on what would happen next. And I walked into that courtroom fully prepared to go to jail. And I can't even... I, it's hard to explain. I, I, I was so mad at first when this came, came about. I just thought, God, this isn't the story that I wanted. 
This isn't the story you were supposed to give me. Your word says that you've got plans for me and a purpose for me. How come I'm having to pay for the things that happened before I knew you? You said that I'm a new creation when I know you. So how come I'm still having to pay for what the old creation did? This isn't fair, God. How could you have a purpose for somebody as broken as I am? What am I going to do in prison? You've called me to be a pastor And you want me to go to jail now? What am I supposed to do in jail? I'm being charged with felonies, which meant they were going to send me to Leavenworth. Leavenworth. And in Leavenworth, that same year, they had just convicted five Marines who had killed a bunch of innocent civilians in Afghanistan. I was going to be there with those guys. What was I supposed to do with that, God? And I felt like God said, John Mark, this is my plan. This is my purpose for your life. I can take all things and work them together for the good of those who love me. These are your mistakes. Now, how are we going to work them together for good? And so I just gave myself to it. I said, (laughs) around January, it took a while, but around January, I said, God, if this is what's going to happen, then you have a purpose for me still. And if I'm going to jail, then I'm going to bring your gospel to those jail cells. Who needs more grace and more redemption than those men in Leavenworth? God, who needs to hear who you are Hear the redeeming story of your gospel more than the people who will be forced to be in the same room with me for years on end. They better look out because I'm coming to bring church to the brig. It's going to be brig church. I'm starting it. We're going to have a great band. It's going to be incredible. Moving lights, fog, the whole nine yards. It's going to be great because I believe that when God has given you a purpose that no matter what, he can work together the circumstances of your life to serve his purpose. And so I started submitted myself to it. I walked into that courtroom on May 11, 2011, May 10th, 2011. And I sat there, my, my, my wife was in there and her brother came and um, my mom and dad were there and my baby sister was there. And that's pretty, pretty horrible actually to have to hear your worst moments recounted over and over again in a courtroom in front of your family. My whole unit showed up in this cinematic, cinematic moment. All these guys that I was serving with, they, they showed up in their full dress uniforms to support me. I'll never forget that. I'll never forget what they did for me that day. And I sat there in that courtroom and I listened to the prosecutors make me out to be this, this horrible villain. And then I sat there and listened to the the defenders, and they went back and forth over and over again, and I just gave it to God. And at the end of that day, the judge came in, and I was just ready. I was kind of, you know, I was like, clap them on. Let's do this thing. Let's go. Where's the paddy wagon? And the judge said, I find Petty Officer Redwine not guilty of any of these criminal charges. I find him not guilty. I think they're trumped up. I don't think due process was happening here. I think you guys are trying to make an example of a young man who's trying to change his life, and I'm not going to be a part of it. And so I find him not guilty. I do, however, find this young man guilty of hazing, which does violate the Uniform Code of Military Justice. And so you'll be reduced in rank from an E5 to an E3, $25,000 pay cut. We're all done here. And that was it. That was it. I was not charged with any criminal charges, nothing that would stay, I didn't get a criminal record that day, nothing that would haunt me for the rest of my life. I was just busted down in rank, uh, which I deserved for what I had done. Um, took a pay cut, which hurt, but I'll tell you what, that day I walked out of that courtroom and directly across the street into an Outback Steakhouse. <laughs> because in the Outback there are no rules and it is just right. That's what I needed in that moment. 
that Outback special, some, some cheese fries, blooming onion. And cure anybody's hurts. And that's my story. That's my story. And I walked out of that story and, and, and I felt just relieved at first, but then I just didn't know what, what, what came next. What came next? Because I've made so many mistakes. And, and, I've, and I've, I've done so many things wrong. And I've got so many scars from all the bad choices I've made. And I've been so marked by pain and hurt. And I've hurt people. And others have been hurt. I don't like telling this story. I hate telling this story, actually. It hurts people when I tell this story. Can you imagine what it's like to be my parents? Listen to me tell this story to 200 people? I don't like it. And there's a couple different things that I could have done. I could have just given it up on it. Could have hidden it. Put it away. Locked it in a box and pretend it never happened. Put my life together like it was perfect and gone forward. Or I could have not gone into the purpose that I felt God called me to, to be a pastor. How could I be a pastor with baggage like that? How could I be a pastor with a record like that? How could I be a pastor with mistakes like that? See, what I'm worried about is maybe you think that you've got too many mistakes, that you've got too much brokenness, too much hurt, too much pain in your past to go on to live in the purpose that God has created you for. And I just want you to see my scars because I want you to know that today, that on this day I am living in my purpose, that we have started a life-giving church in the city of Asheville, that I'm married and my marriage is awesome It is wonderful. I love my wife and she loves me. I've got a beautiful daughter named Eleanor Rose and a brand new one named Dagny June. And I love the purpose that God has called me to. And even the worst moments, the things that I wish I could tuck away in a box and forget about forever, they have led me to here. And I want you to see there are no perfect people at this church. Nobody is without scars. Nobody that lives in their purpose, that is thriving, that is doing what God has called them to do, is doing it without a few bumps on the road to get there. In fact, if you think God only wants you to do to live in your purpose, if if you think He only has plans for your life, if your life has all been held together perfectly, then you don't know much about God yet. Because his scripture is filled with story after story after story. A person just like me who made way too many mistakes to be used by God, but was used by God anyways. So I want to leave you guys with a few things here this morning. Because here's the thing. Here's here's what I want you to learn from my story. You know, all along along the way, throughout my story, I always felt like, why couldn't it be more like this person over here? When I was in high school, I just didn't understand why I couldn't be my dad. Why wasn't I as smart as my dad? Why, why wasn't I as well put together as my dad? When I joined the Coast Guard, there was always somebody who was getting advanced and ranked faster than me or getting more awards than I was or was a better leader than I was or better whatever else than I was. And I always just got mad that I wasn't like them, that God didn't make me like them. Once I gave my life to Jesus, I went to church. And I was like, how come I'm not as good of a Christian as these people? This guy's been in church his whole life, got saved when he was six years old, and has been a better Christian than me since age seven. How come I can't be like him? Why doesn't my story look like his? Why didn't God give me what he gave him? 
And I would look all around always when I decided to be a pastor. I would look at these awesome pastors that had gone before me and think, I'm not as organized as they are. I'm not as charismatic as they are. I'll never be able to, to do what they do. And it's always looking to the left and to the right and thinking, what I've got is not enough. All I've got is a series of brokenness and pain and mistakes. So where's mine, God? How, how am I supposed to do anything with my story? Here's what I, what I know now about my story and what I believe about yours. Your life experiences, your pain, your triumphs, the decisions you've made and the things outside of your control have made you who you are and uniquely equipped you to do the thing that God has created you to do. Ephesians 2.10 says, For you are God's handiwork, that you, He's created you to do the good works which He's prepared in advance for us to do. God's got a plan mapped out for you and only for you. It's time to own your story and pursue it because only you can do you. And you were created to do you. And you were created intentionally, on purpose, for a purpose. It's time to own your story. Three reasons we don't do this. Maybe we don't like our story. Sometimes we just don't like our story. So many of us carry shame and guilt as a result of our story. And you can't see that God could have anything well, well put together ahead of you because of everything you've left behind you. I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to not like our story. But listen to me. Your story uniquely equips you to do what he's created you to do. And nobody can take it from you. And it matters. And it's important. Second reason is we don't see our story. Sometimes we just don't put it together. We, we just don't see any value in what's happened to us. Maybe you haven't had all these amazing big things happen that you can talk about. You know, I remember growing up in church and hearing people with wild testimonies and thinking, man, how come I'll never have a testimony like that? I'll never be as good of a Christian as they are. And maybe, maybe you just think, I don't really have a story. My life's been ordinary. It's been boring, normal. I believe that... God has a purpose for you that you just haven't seen yet. There is a story being told throughout your life that has made you who you are, whether or not you put the pieces together. It's time to stop looking at the page and to see the whole story. Third thing, we, don't, we want their story. We want their story. Comparison kills joy. It's easy to be a mom and look at the mom who's got four kids, two biological, two adopted, and she's got 25,000 Instagram followers, and her blog's getting published on Christianity today, and it's easy to look at the story that you're living, where you've been wearing the same sweatpants since Wednesday, <laughs> and look at the story she's living, and she's got $600 blue jeans on that somebody gave her for free. She'd wear them on Instagram, and think, God, why didn't you give me what you gave her? Why didn't you give me what you gave her? Why didn't I get their story? How come I've got mine? Why didn't I get hers? You know, it's silly, but I love Bear Grylls. <laughs> love him. Bear Grylls, man. If I, if I just want to be best friends with him forever. And I'm not ashamed of it. This past two weeks, I've been at home. I've been watching a lot of Man vs. Wild. It's all on Amazon Prime. If you've got Amazon Prime, you can watch all seven seasons, just in case you're wondering. I was watching season one and I realized that when he made season one of Man vs. Wild, he was my age. My age. 30 years old. And I, listen, when I, when I was watching it the first time, I was just a reckless teenager. It was fine for him to be doing all that. But now I'm 30 and I'm looking at what he did by the time he was 30. 
Bear Grylls, by the time he was 30, he had been in the British Special Forces, had fallen out of an airplane at 19,000 feet and broke his back and lived. They told him he would never, ever walk again. And one year later, he became the youngest man to climb Mount Everest. He had paraglided across the entire continent of Antarctica. I don't even know what paragliding is. Sounds awesome. And he had his own successful TV show on the Discovery Channel. I'm like, man, what have I done? How come, I'm not, how come I didn't get what he got? Why did he get everything and I got, I got this? I've got this series of broken mistakes. How come he got all that right and I got all this wrong? And it's easy to look at somebody else and say, why didn't I get that? But God didn't create you to live their story. God didn't give you what he gave them because he doesn't want you to be them. God wants you to do you. There's a parable, Matthew chapter 25. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you today because I've gone over a little bit, but let me tell you what it says. Jesus is telling three parables in a row, and they all have the same moral. And he doesn't explain any of them, and so they can be a little confusing. But one of them is this parable. They call it the parable of the talents. See, the, the, the master is going away for some time, and he calls together three servants, and he gives each of them bags of gold, different portions. The first one, he gives five bags of gold. Second one, he gives two bags of gold. And then this last guy, he gives one bag of gold. And these two guys, they take what, what the master gave them, and they invest it. They, go, they multiply it. They grow it. They, go and they put it somewhere where it's going to make a difference. This guy looks at what they got, and then he looks at what he got, and he was like, well, I better not lose this. They've got, something to, they've got something to risk. I didn't get much. So he digs a hole in the ground and just drops it in the hole in the ground. Master comes back and asks what everybody did with the talent that he gave them. And the first guy's like, I took five and I made it ten. Here you go. The second guy's like, I took two and I made it four. Here you go. And the third guy's like, it's over here in this hole in the ground. <laughs> Digs it up, gives it to him. And the master was so mad at him, so upset, called him a wicked, lazy servant. Wanted to throw him out to a land of frustration. Because that man was given something. And God said, the master said, you don't have to do a lot with it. All you had to do was go put it in the bank. Listen, I've got a checking account. It gets 0.002% interest, all right? And God said, if you would just invest it there and even just get that little bit, that's something. But I gave you something and you did nothing with it. See, the guy with two bags, he got less than half of what the other guy got. But he still said, this is mine and I'm going to do something with it. And he did something. He multiplied it. Here's the moral of the story. <clears throat> what you have is less important than what you do with what you have. What you have is less important than what you do with what you have. I'm embarrassed about a lot of my story. I don't like to talk about it, but I'm going to do something with it. I'm going to do something with it. I'm not just going to leave it locked away in a box. I'm not going to bury it in a hole in the ground because I didn't get what some other great pastor got. I'm going to use what I got because that's what's been given to me. What you have is not as important as what you do with what you have. Three quick things, and then I'm done. Three things I want to leave you with this morning that we've got to do. We've got to know. I want you to understand this in your bones. First, God is writing your story. God is writing your story. Romans 8.28. And this is the passage that kind of is one of my life verses. Because I need it. It says, and we know that in all good, that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. We know that in all things, 
good and bad, life experiences, pain, hurts, things that you wish never happened but happened anyways, no matter what, God can work them together for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Listen to me, church. You have been called according to his purpose. And no matter how embarrassed you are, no matter how much it hurts, no matter what you've been through, he can work it together for the good of that purpose. He can. He will. He wants to. You just got to give it to him. Everything, even if it's ordinary and boring. Romans 12.1 says, here's what I want you to do. God help you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your eating, sleeping, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Just give it to him and see what he can do with it. Find out what he does with it. God is writing your story. It's not boring. It's not wrong. It's not something that you should just want to walk away from. Your story matters, and it is being written by the creator of all things. Second thing. Only you can do you. Only you can do you. God didn't make no mistakes when he made you. God hasn't made a, a single mistake in your life. Psalm 139, 13 through 16 says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Can you picture the intimacy of David's relationship with God? You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know it full well. You know, that verse in Ephesians 2.10, the word handiwork could be translated masterpiece. It could say, for we are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good things, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Stop wishing you had somebody else's story. You are a masterpiece. Created on purpose for a purpose. Your story is amazing and it's yours and only yours. God prepared work for you to do in advance. Don't do somebody else's work. Don't wish for somebody else's work. Do the work he prepared for you. You do you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You do you. What you have is less important than what you do with what you have. So do something spectacular with it. Last thing. Own your story. Own it. Own your story. I'm not ashamed of who I am anymore. I'm not ashamed of my story anymore. It's mine. It's made me who I am. Who I am, I am as a result of the choices I've made. What I've learned from them. How God shaped me through it. The way he's delivered me from them. The miracles he's shown me throughout my life. In every horrible mistake and, and story I have, there's a miracle in it. That gun could have gone off that night. It could have all ended. Two beautiful little girls wouldn't be here. They are. God intervened. I could have been in jail. I could be doing great prison ministry right now. God said, I've got another plan for you. you see, over and over again, God works together for the good of those who love him. Over and over again, he shows up. But because... Because of the mistakes I made. See, I'm not proud of my suicide attempt. I'm not. But because of it, I have a unique understanding of surrender. And a unique understanding of the word redemption. You know redemption? Directly translate. The, the word they use for redemption in the Hebrew and the Greek. Directly translated. Just means to be, to be put back to your original purpose. To be put back 
to your original purpose. I understand grace better and the God of second chances more. And I'm uniquely equipped to comfort and pastor people who are depressed and anxious and suicidal. And I wish I could have got myself together sooner. I wish I could have understood his purpose and his plan for me at a younger age, but I didn't. And that's okay because this is my story. And I'm not supposed to be one of these guys with a great story. These pastors I look up to. I'm not supposed to be Andy Stanley or Chris Hodges or, or Andy Wood, my pastor from California. I'm not supposed to be them. I'm not supposed to have their story. I'm not supposed to be Bear Grylls as much as that hurts me. I'm supposed to be me. I'm supposed to be John Mark Redwine, lead pastor of the Gathering Church, father to two beautiful girls, husband to Raelle Marie. That's who I am. That's my story. God has moved in every single step of it. And listen to me. The parts of your story that you're, you're embarrassed about, that you think are keeping you from your purpose, or keeping you from going forward, or keeping you from the dreams that God has for you, God wants to use those very parts to bring you there. The things that you don't want to talk about, God wants you to talk about. God wants to use those things in your story to shape you into who he created you to be. God has a plan for your life and there's nothing you can do. No direction you can deviate that will take you so far away that you can't get right back on track with that purpose. All you, it takes a moment, an instant, and you can be right back on track with the purpose he made you with. Our creator can create anything out of nothing and he can certainly create something beautiful out of you. You just gotta let him do it. You just got to believe that he will. You've just got to know that there is something more for you in this life. You've got to stop running from it. You've got to stop hiding from it. You've got to stop looking at somebody else's story and hiding yours in the dirt. It's time to dig it up and do something special with it. God wants to do something special with you, and the world is waiting for it because only you can do it. Only you can do you. Give yourself over to him. Let him move in you. Let him change the world through you. He's got a plan for your life. Let your story lead you to it. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are, God, and what you've done in us. God, I thank you for the transformation you brought to my life, God. I thank you for your redeeming grace every single minute of every day, God. I thank you for the way you put your hand on me. That, God, you've rescued me. I thank you for the way you've saved me, Lord. God, thank you for pursuing me and for wanting even me. That even me, God, that even John Mark, even me that you would desire. Thank you, Lord. I give myself to you again today, Lord. Father, lead me, Lord. Show me the next steps. Show me the next parts of my story. I'm an open book. I'm ready, Father. God, I pray for every person in this room still holding back. Still, still believing that they're not good enough. Still believing that your story has already ended for them, God. I ask that you would ignite a fire of passion within them this morning. That you would whisper into their hearts, you are mine and you are loved. That you would wrap your arms around these children today, Father. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.